0: This is Peter,
1: and this is Tom,
0: and you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. All right, this is Peter Sablaki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. All right, Tommy, what do we got?
1: Well, today, in honor of... um the recent Martin Luther King Day, we're going to be looking at the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., which I believe we did touch on a little bit back in our 1968 episode, We right? did.
0: We did. Yeah, yeah we did this is a, talk about it.
1: This is just a little bit more of a examination of it, what brings them to Memphis, the assassination, the, the manhunt, right, for James Earl yep. Ray, and then a little bit of some things that's happened about uh, somewhat recently involving the King family and the assassination where they stand on it and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're not conspiracy theories by any means, but we are going to mention some of the conspiracy theories. And because, like you said, this is something that's still ongoing. And you just mentioned there's a new podcast that came out about this, right?
1: Yeah, I believe it's called the um, I haven't listened to it yet, but I heard about it on the drive home today called the MLK Tapes. And they discuss um, about the again with the manhunt for Ray and then just basically the idea that he was not the lone gunman or he wasn't even the one involved in the shooting at all so there's a lot of different theories out there and i think believe that podcast really does a a deep 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 dive into all that we're not doing that much again this is just kind of just a little bit of information on it we're just talking about some facts and taking it from there
0: just having a conversation but i feel like it's really interesting because similar thing that happened with Oswald, right? And Kennedy and James Earl Ray. It's this idea of like it's almost impossible that one single person that is so much beneath the person that they are slaying, in a sense, right? That they're killing could do such a thing. You know what I mean? It's this idea of like how can Oswald kill the JFK? How can just this this nobody, yeah. James Earl Ray, kill the MLK? And and I think that's what also sparks this idea of, like, that's impossible. It's like, a nobody like that cannot kill somebody like MLK or somebody like JFK. And I think that is the reason why there is a lot of different conspiracy theories that go along with these, mur- you know, high-profile murders. Because you can't believe that something like that yeah. would happen.
1: And it was an earth- earth-shaking event. Like, like we talked about 1968 had a whole bunch of its own problems. Yeah. But it was, um, you know, you had the Civil Rights Movement going on. You had the Vietnam War. Anti-war movement was in full swing. Uh King was against the Vietnam War. He was building a um since like 65. He's talking about that.
0: And there's um, a coalition, which we'll get to today. I think yeah. we'll, you know, we'll talk about the coalition of, of poverty and stuff. And but also it's one of, of 60s overall has four big high-profile murders, right? Um you have JFK starts it with 63, 65, you have Malcolm X, and then 68, you have MLK and RFK. So this yeah. is usually kind of brought together in this yeah. lump of four big murders of nineteen
1: m l k is in april and 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 then r f k is in june
0: yep so let's uh let's let's kind of talk about this right let's figure out what what he's doing in Memphis why he's there um some of the significance of it, and then what ultimately happens first of all king uh, based on just researching this you guys will come to realize that uh m l k was actually um it, you know, he had many death threats. You know, there's a lot of people, oh, yeah. because he, he was very popular in the civil rights movement um, and he believed himself that, that with that came a huge risk of death and it nearly happened in the 50s, right? Well, he
1: was stabbed in the yeah, 50s. It was,
0: it was 58. It was an African-American woman that actually stabbed him um, with a letter opener, right? It was like a Harlem book signing in 58 and um, she she stabbed him and apparently it was so close that Later on he talks about this in his speech that if he had done as much as sneezed or moved a little bit, um it would have severed his artery and he would have died. Um so he does survive one um assassination. He that,
1: and I know after um Kennedy is assassinated in sixty three, he supposedly tells his wife Coletta um Coretta, excuse me, that um this is what's gonna happen to me also. I keep telling you this. He says this is a sick society. So he was kind of like aware of this. He was kind of like knew that you know there's a very good chance because you know, this is public life and there are these more or less crazies out there that were, you know, gonna come after him just like they just did Kennedy.
0: Yep. So Memphis. Memphis, Tennessee, essentially the the main reason why he travels to Memphis, this is remember, this is nineteen sixty eight. The civil rights movement technically peaked in sixty four and sixty five, with the passage of the Civil Rights Act of sixty-four, followed by the march to Selma and the passage of the voting rights act of 65. And really not much else happened when it comes to legislation for civil rights legislation since then. Now, King started to shift a little bit because King's initial goal was in civil rights was to end segregation. And segregation at least on paper um you know ended in 64 65. What he's looking at here is now looking at the injustice and the inequality between the races, specifically poverty. And while he mostly concentrated on ending segregation in the South, he starts to shift his viewpoint and really concentrate on the North. The North doesn't have, you know, what is known as the jury segregation by law. It has de facto segregation, which is based more off of um, like socioeconomic issues where you had blacks lived in, Essentially, ghettos in cities, inner cities, where there was not a lot of funding for them. Which yeah, it wasn't policy, but it still it still happened. It still took place. Exactly.
1: Well, he's in Tennessee, because he's um, in support of striking African American sanitation workers. Yep. They basically they've been have, they staged a walkout in February of '68. They were there to protest unequal wages, working conditions. Uh, that was all put in place by the mayor, a man named Henry Loeb.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, basically, at the time the African-American workers were paid lower wages than the white workers. Yep. Um, They also weren't issued um, any city uniforms. They weren't allowed to use the restrooms there. They had no recognized union. They had no grievance to go and uh, basically report this procedure when they were underpaid or not paid. Yep. And um, basically things didn't get any better. And then uh, apparently in February of 68, two of them died in a garbage garbage truck um, accident. And that led to the strike.
0: Yeah, apparently it was um it was like a rainstorm rainstorm rather and you had these two workers that like were looking for a refuge from the rainstorm so they actually jumped into the compactor area of the garbage truck and somehow the garbage truck like the compact area turned itself on and they were crushed. And that is kind of what led to the ultimate strike like enough is enough. African Americans are not treated equally in the sanitation aspect. So he goes to Memphis on March 28, 1968 to participate in this in this march. Um, and the march actually ends in violence, so it never really comes to fruition. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. He doesn't finish the march, so he returns to Memphis on the third, I think. Um, yeah,
1: because his, his airline, I believe, his flight was delayed because of a bomb threat.
0: Yep,
1: he's gonna go and give a um speech, and um,
0: he gives a speech did, at he, the Mason he, Temple, yeah, which is a Mason very known temple, speech.
1: yeah, yeah, the Church of God in Christ, yeah, the world headquarters of Church of God in Christ. About, he gives his uh, famous, I've been to the mountaintop speech. Yeah. He talks about his, it's kind of uh, also very foreboding, I guess, because he, yeah. he 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 talks about his 1958 attempted assassination.
0: Yeah. Um, he like drives the point home. like he t- He's talking about it. Yeah.
1: He talks about it. And um, he even references a letter by a young girl who told him that she was happy that he had not uh, sneezed like you're talking about, because, yeah. you know, if they said, if he sneezed, he was going to die. And he yeah. talks about I too. Yeah. I, too, am happy that I did not sneeze. And then he talks about, you know, what, he, what he's done and you know, uh, from that point. So he's, he's it's kind of like a very interesting because then what happens just, you know.
0: Well, yeah, literally the next day, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, the next day. So also what the, the idea of, you know, I've been to the mountaintop. It's interesting because he finishes the speech. And that's what people always like say. It's like a prophecy almost because he finishes the speech by mentioning his like bomb threats. And he talks about the bomb threat that ultimately delayed him getting to Memphis.
1: What he talks about, too, he's not a fearing man, right? Yeah. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. So he's almost like saying, like like he said to his wife, he was kind of, not that he knew it was going to happen that day, but he was kind of expecting there was going to be other attempts at yeah. his life, you know, and that maybe one 39. of these future attempts, yeah, one of these future attempts could uh, be successful.
0: Yep, I, yeah, He's I... young. He was young, 39 years old, although I don't know if you saw that, but after they did the autopsy, they said that his heart, because they actually opened up his chest to try to literally resuscitate him by like massaging his heart, and they said his heart was of like a 60-year-old man based on all the stress he's been through. Stress and stuff like that. Yep. I did read
1: somewhere, too. They said probably if he was shot, if it happened today, they probably would have been able to save him. Nuts. That's been one of those things, too. Like how medical has it? How advanced? Because no, he, was he, was yeah, he was still breathing. He was Yeah, he was so breathing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. they we'll, we'll believe they ahead of they probably, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's do this. So basically what happens here is he gives a speech, and in this speech he basically says that, like, you know, what will happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind, like anybody. I would like to have a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I mean, he literally kind of says, like, hey, you know what? If If I die, you know – I'm going to die. It's it's intense speech. I and mean, first of all, you could hear this speech. Actually, you could watch it on YouTube or at least listen to it on YouTube. And MLK was an amazing speaker. I mean, if you hear that voice, oh, yeah. it is just something else. Every time I hear it, specifically to speech, it's like I get goosebumps. It, it's nuts. So on Thursday, April 4th, so the next day, um, you were staying in room 304. No, it's wrong. 306, right? Lorraine Motel in Memphis, yeah. which yep. today is actually the National Civil Rights Museum. Um, for those of you guys listening. And if you're in the area, I'm sure you've probably been. He's there with some colleagues and friends, including, uh, what's his name was with him? Uh, Reverend Jesse J- Jackson.
1: J- Jesse Jackson, yeah.
0: And apparently as they're walking on this balcony, he actually asks the, one of the people that is with him, a, a musician, and he was the musician was scheduled to perform something that evening. And he says, Ben, make sure you play Take My Hand, Precious Lord, in a meeting tonight. You know, it's like, I really like that song. Played real pretty. Like, that is supposedly the last thing that he says. And at that point, what happens is a bullet basically is fired at King um, from 601 p.m. The He's bullet the face, strikes right? him in the face. It yeah. actually goes in his right cheek, right? Um, from what I read, it goes through his right yep. cheek, it breaks his jaw, um, server, several of his vertebrates, um, and then travels down through uh, his spinal cord and goes into his shoulder, lodges in his shoulder. Um, he essentially, they said his shot was so powerful it ripped through his, um, ripped his necktie off. So he falls back in a balcony unconscious. Shortly after the shot is fired, later on witnesses say that they believe they saw a man who is later identified as James Earl Ray fleeing from a rooming house right across the street from the Lorraine Motel. And apparently Ray had been renting a room in this boarding house. And then eventually the police find um, the package dumped close to the site. And that package included a rifle and binoculars, and they both had raised fingerprints on it. Um, so we'll get to that a little bit more. But King himself is rushed to hospital because... He was still alive. He, still had he a was pulse. still alive. They still had a pulse, right? And that's when um, they tried to the whole, you know, they literally opened up his chest. They're trying to yeah. resurrect Cardio- his
1: cardiopulmonary resuscitation.
0: Yep, nuts. Um, he is pronounced dead at 7.05. Um, yeah, which is thirty nine. I can't get over that. Um, yeah, so I guess now we can say it. Yeah, go ahead. no, no, you go first. I was
1: going to say after his assassination. So you know he was assassinated. So we know that. Um, we started getting you know King's widow, um, had was notified, had informed the children that their father was dead. She received a large number of telegrams. Right.
0: Um, this was a weird one. Did you see this one? Yeah, actually,
1: from we Harvey Oswald's um, mother actually yeah. sent. Sent one just kind of saying, you know, listen.
0: Like, that, we don't really um, know actually it, what it says. It, I don't think we sent, know but it. just,
1: I guess, just like a, um she, um, Coretta King just kind of says, listen, that one really like, you know, touched her the most because, you know, she's this other one that happened just a, f- you know, a few years prior. Yeah. Um, talking about it. Um, a lot of people from the movement started doing it. Um, Robert F. Kennedy gave a speech talking oh, that, about it. Oh, we
0: should it. talk about that because that's a kind of a that, yeah, that right, is considered actually. Around. One of the considered, widely considered, one of the greatest speeches in American history. You know, RFK's speech on assassination. And that same night, RFK, who is essentially on a a campaign trail, right? He's running for president. Learns about the shooting while he's traveling to Indianapolis. And he was scheduled to make a speech there in a predominantly black neighborhood. Um, And he learns about King's death right before not death but like he was that king was hurt that shot, as he yeah. takes off yep when he lands he finds out the king is uh, has passed and the press secretary is like all right we have some you know this is we can't guarantee your safety i, I don't know if you should mention anything um you know this is mostly an african american crowd and and if anything you should read this speech and they like prepared a speech for him and he was like no no i'm going to i'm going to do my own speech and essentially most of the world found out um through that speech that that King had died.
1: Yeah, a lot of the people there didn't even know until he No idea. Yeah, he told them flat out.
0: Um, So he basically stood on the back of his flatbed truck. Uh, The speech was four minutes and 57 seconds, and uh, he was the first to tell the audience, which was recorded as well as and sent to different news networks, um, that King had died. And in it, essentially, he acknowledged that there will be anger. And he said, for those of you who are black and are tempted to be filled with hatred and mistrust, of the injustice of such an act against all white people, I would only say that I can only feel in my own heart the same kind of feeling. And this is the first time he publicly talks about the death of his brother. He says, I had a member of my family killed, but he was killed by a white man. And then he kind of goes through this idea that we need to make an effort to go beyond these rather difficult times, and this idea that we should come together. And they say that that speech was probably what, led Perfectly, Indianapolis yeah. to not, not have, to have the same own, riots. Not have
1: the riots because he had riots in a lot of other major cities. Yep. And we'll talk about that. He had um you know riots all, all over the country. Yeah, not in Memphis. They're crediting that with um Kennedy. He also didn't cancel the rest of his um scheduled campaign appearances. He went to his hotel room. Yep. He does put out some other press releases.
0: Yeah the next um, and day they're, stuff.
1: yeah they're they're significant but they're not they don't have as much historical attention as the speech he did in Indianapolis.
0: Yep, hundred um, percent.
1: Lyndon B. Johnson's also aware of this. He's he's uh, that evening he was planning on meeting in Hawaii with Vietnam with Vietnam War military commanders, and and then when the press secretary tells him what had happened, he actually calls uh, Coretta Scott King. He declares April seventh a national day of mourning. So you yep. start having that, but you also have riots popping up in other parts of the country. They're saying this is not what you know, um, Dr. Martin Luther King would have wanted, but also people are angry, people are upset. And so, you know, rioting is something that tends to happen
0: with that. The other thing I find interesting is that LBJ does not attend his funeral. That I, yes. I I didn't know that until like started doing research for this. But you have all these riots, and and the riots are this is you know this is pretty intense. The destruction, especially Washington D.C. riots, they were all over the place, and there was a massive fear of just like insurrection. On April eighth, before the funeral, Coretta Scott King and her four young children actually led. The walk or march for the sanitation workers that her her husband was supposed to lead. An estimated forty thousand marched in silence through the streets of Memphis to honor King and support the cause of city's black sanitation workers. By the way, the and city, they
1: had, yeah, they did. I was gonna say, yeah, they settled pretty quickly. After right that away, they knew that, yeah. that it was gonna, not going to end well for them, so they settled very quickly with very favorable terms for the for the sanitation workers.
0: Yep. Uh, and then the next day you have funeral rites are held at King's hometown, Atlanta, Georgia. Ultimately, I think there was a massive outpouring of support for King. A lot of it also came from people that were traditionally, you know, some politicians that were traditionally like sectionalist in a sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that definitely brought some people together that normally would not have happened. Now, the funeral itself, you know, you're looking at a crowd of about 300,000 attended King's funeral on April 9th. Uh, and as I mentioned before, Vice President Hu- Herbert Humphrey attends on behalf of Johnson because apparently Johnson is, I mean, I'm not apparently, it's is 68. Vietnam is at its peak, as we mentioned in our 68 podcast. It seems like the world has fallen apart. So he's actually at a meeting for a Vietnam War. And there was fears that if he attended a funeral, it might have skewed the funeral because protesters might protesters might have showed up to kind of protest the Vietnam War, and they felt like that would be distasteful and actually ruin the funeral, you know, he decides to stay um, home for that one. Well, not home, he's at Camp David. Before we get into theories, let's talk about the guy that's caught, how he's caught, and then we'll talk about some of the theories why potentially maybe he wasn't the only one and why potentially MLK was actually shot. Or at yeah, least yeah, so it
1: makes sense. So James O'Reilly, I guess we're not getting too much into him, right? But yeah, he I mean, was based... Go ahead. He was, um,
0: was he was a criminal. He was
1: a career criminal. Yeah, he was a career convict. You know, a lot of burglary, burglary um, served years for, uh, two years for armed robbery, um, mail fraud, things of that nature, caught stealing money, armed robbery, again, at liquor stores. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison for these repeated offenses. He escaped the Missouri State Penitentiary in 1967 by riding in a um, truck transport um like a bread delivery truck mm-hmm. so he's able to uh, escape that way following his escape he stayed um moving throughout the united states he went to canada for a little bit comes back in st louis chicago right he's all over the place basically
0: and i got this vibe too like basically reading does that he was like not the brightest bulb they said yeah. that he actually was he joined u.s army in world war ii and served in germany but he was discharged for ineptitude and like a lack of you know capabilities and abilities like he was just not a bright bulb, which is why some of these conspiracy theories come out. Like, there's no way that this person, this nobody, you know what I mean, like, could do this. Because if you look at his background, I mean, he, there's nothing special about this dude by any means. Yeah, no. All right, so let's get Berger's closer to 68. What do you have?
1: Well, earlier 68, he actually did get um, facial reconstruction surgery. I saw he, got that. Rhinop- he got rhinoplasty, which I was kind of odd, but for whatever reason he did. Um, and then he arrives in Atlanta in March of, of 1968. Yeah. He checks into a rooming house, right? He brought a map of the city. FBI agents later find this map when they searched the room. And on the map, there were locations of basically churches and residents that Martin Luther King visited that were circled. So he was, it was proof that he was playing this. He did have some, obviously, role in this and everything.
0: Then he, d- he um, drove to Alabama and he bought the he Remington model. Alabama. That's, that's, when, he got the, yeah, that's when he bought
1: the rifle with the um, 20 boxes of ammunition. Yep, He bought the scope, which he used to mount the rifle. And he told shopkeepers he was going on a hunting trip with his brother.
0: And there's proof of all this. Like, we know for a yeah. fact this guy did this stuff, which, yeah. again, kind of adds to, like, you know, people are like, no, he didn't do this. Uh, well, some of the evidence, you know, like, it, it happened. People saw him do this.
1: Yeah, he bought um, the rifle. and That was the rifle that was used. Like, that's what, that stuff did happen. Yeah.
0: Yep. Uh, he had, like, an alias, too, right? Like, in Mexico. Um, like, H- Harvey Lohmeyer. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was it. You're right. So after he purchases all that stuff, he basically drives back to Atlanta and they say that he kind of just sits there and basically he starts to, based on reading newspapers, plot King's movements, which is how he figures out the whole Memphis, Tennessee part Um, is scheduled for April 1st and April 2nd. He basically packs his bag and drives to Memphis. Like he is very ready for this. So, as far as, you know, the story goes here, on April 4th, 1964, he kills MLK. That's the official story as yeah, far as the United that, States yeah. government is concerned. He did it with a single shot fired from this Remington rifle. He was standing on a second floor balcony. I'm sorry, King was standing on a second floor balcony, right? Uh, yeah, and Ray was a, on a rooming house across the street when he shoots him. At that point... That's basically pack, when he,
1: he, he starts running, right? Witness yeah, his, and that's how they figured out it's his team, him he running, fingerprints. He, yeah. Yeah, well he left the package, yeah, that had like the rifle, the binoculars on it and they were found with his fingerprints. Yep. Um but Ray himself, he leaves for Atlanta and his Ford Mustang he drives 11 hours, picks up his belongings, he goes to Canada, then Toronto, then he actually takes a um he attained a Canadian passport under a false name. This team. is
0: fishy cuz based on this guy like he's a dumb butt. You know, like how is he getting this false identification? This and again, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here, but you know, he gets a Canadian passport yeah, yeah. As a Ramon 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 George Snyat or Snyat or something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he leaves. He goes to England, right?
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Then Lisbon, Portugal. Then he returns to England. Like it takes a couple of months place, to find yeah. him. Yeah,
1: it takes I think mean, two months to find him. And he yeah. was planning on leaving London and going to Brussels, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that's or part or maybe even believe it or not, um, South Africa, apartheid South Africa at the time, using this falsified Canadian passport and. At a check-in, the ticket agent noticed a name on his passport, and that name was actually on a Royal Canadian Mounted Police watch list. Mm -hmm. So at the airport, it was just noted that he was uh, carrying another passport with another name. Like, okay, this doesn't make much sense. And they quickly, um, the UK quickly extradited him to Tennessee, where he was charged with King's murder.
0: Because of the fact that this package he dropped right outside the place from which he was shooting, with all his fingerprints on it, this is why people are like, "Why would he do that?" You know what I mean? Because we knew his name. I mean, there was wanted posters of him for the two months that he was running under different aliases. We were searching for? for James Earl Wright Like we, we said, "This is the guy that killed King." So he gets he gets arrested. He and he essentially enters a guilty plea. And you know his his attorney apparently. Says, listen, if you enter a guilty plea, you're not going to get a death sentence, right? Or you're not going to be electrocuted. So he's like, all right, fine. Yes, I, I did it. At that point, my understanding is three days, right? I think it takes about three then days. He
1: rec- then he recants. Yeah. He yeah. says, no, I he's didn't He's like,
0: uh, wait, you know what? I didn't do that. First of all, he gets 99 years in prison. And he's like, you know what? Three days later, he's like, I didn't actually kill him. He goes, really? It was, um, he?" first of all, he fires his attorney, right? And he gets somebody else. And then he says, "I wasn't even there when this happened, and it was somebody else that did it." And I think he even throws his brother under the bus and says his brother had something to do with
1: it. that one, I know he—he he was reason he later says the reason why he left the package there with the binoculars and the gun was because he wanted to become a famous criminal. He was also delusional too. He believed that um, George Wallace, governor of Alabama, would be elected president, and that he would basically be be allowed back into the United States after that didn't really work but he did spend the rest of his life unsuccessfully attempting to withdraw his guilty plea secure a trial he actually did um, escape jail at one point
0: 77 right? 77
1: him and yeah. some like few other convicts escaped the uh, state penitentiary in tennessee they were recaptured three days later
0: i'm ken harbaugh host of warriors in their own words a podcast that presents the unvarnished unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation
1: And a year was added to his sentence. So he went from 99 years to 100 years in jail.
0: Crazy. At one point, he actually claimed that um, there was a man he met in Montreal, alias Raoul. And this Raoul was involved in, in really the conspiracy. And together with his brother, um, Johnny was also involved. And he said that he wasn't directly involved. He, you know, there was a conspiracy here. He wasn't the only one. And he basically even said, like, he did not personally shoot King. Like, that was after he changed his his plea. Again, evidence was presented to the House Select Committee on Assassinations, and they're like, no, dude, Like, uh, all the evidence points to the fact that you were the lone gunman that killed King. Yeah, that's, right. um, that's what they decide anyway. Yeah. Yep. So uh, before he dies, I mean, he dies real quick, I guess. Ray dies in prison, right? April 23rd, 1998. Uh, he's seven years old. He dies from a kidney and liver failure that's caused actually by, Do you, you see this? He was apparently stabbed while he was in prison. And when he was stabbed, they gave him blood transfusions, and the blood transfusions he, he, he led to like right. hepatitis yeah, he C. All these
1: diseases and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but
1: he was really angry. Like he, um, his brother tells what? his brother winds up collecting his ashes, and he because his, uh, James right, didn't want to be buried in the United States. He was so angry he said of the government treat him. So his ashes are spread out in Ireland.
0: Let's uh, let's let's talk about you know some of these uh, potential conspiracy theories.
1: Well, the first one is a man by the name of uh, Lloyd Jowers. And it's basically, he's an individual from Memphis. He has a lot of business interests. Um, right around where the assassination took place. Uh, he winds up appearing on uh, Primetime Live on ABC. Talking about this, he gained a lot of attention by claiming that he conspired with the mafia and the federal government to kill Martin Luther King Jr. And he said Ray was just a scapegoat. He was not directly involved in the shooting. Uh, He claimed that he'd hire someone else to kill King as a favor for a friend of the mafia.
0: Yeah, apparently he hired a cop. I think he hired a local police officer.
1: So according to the Department of Justice, he inconsistently identified different people as King's assassin since 1993. He kept on giving these different people. He claimed different people. He claimed the shooter was an African-American man, right?
0: Yeah, then he Um, went back to this Raul theory. Raul guy,
1: right, who's a uh, lieutenant with the Memphis Police Department. Then he says a person he didn't even recognize was a person that did it. So the Justice Department says, You're not even keeping your story straight. So they couldn't, they say basically, No, you're not credible. So it's say that the evidence allegedly supporting the existence of Raul is, you know, not reliable and stuff like that. That he's It's just all over the place. So they dismiss it. But it does lead, and I guess you can talk about this, it does lead to a um, 1997, which goes even further, a court case, right?
0: Yeah, well, because so King's son Dexter actually meets with Ray in jail and basically says, I mean, this is quote, um, he says, it didn't I just father. want to ask you for the record, did you kill my father? And Ray replied, no, I did not. Um, and from that point forward, you know, Dexter actually says, I, I believe him. I don't, I don't believe this one guy killed my father. And that's when essentially King's family urges that Ray be granted a new trial, right?
1: Well, they you know, if it's a trial, then they can actually bring, there can be evidence going to be brought forth. Yeah. it's a big thing when, when, it's well, he pleaded guilty, they didn't have a trial.
0: Yeah. Evidence is actually locked up now till 2027, by the way.
1: Well, a couple of years.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, that's five years. They should all be able to uh, declassify some they won't. They won't. No, because
1: still, they're still always de- um, refusing to declassify all the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, right? so they're
0: not going to declassify an MLK either. But anyway, what happens in 1999? The family files a civil case against Jowers um, and his unnamed conspirators um conspirators rather for the wrongful death of king um it's the Coretta Scott King versus Lloyd Jowers and it goes to circuit court right in Tennessee um basically through November and December of 1999 and ultimately I mean there's like evidence of 70 witnesses 4,000 pages of transcripts what came out of this like based on what I was reading the civil case said that yes there was a conspiracy yeah, well, potentially first, by Memphis police, federal agencies, they named right CIA, FBI, Memphis police as potential conspiracy members. But then the federal government actually throws that decision out, right? Yeah, That's well, they I couldn't mean.
1: call them as they couldn't call them as witnesses or anything like that. They yeah. just kind of say it's a, it was more of a piece to get it out there, a case to get it out there, and also the proof because originally it was a case for ten million dollars, obviously. Um, they, the guy didn't have $10 million, right? But they just, um, then they say, let's lower it to a hundred bucks because they're saying that it's not the money they want. It's the principle of it. So they want to prove it was a assassination, a conspiracy to assassinate Martin Luther King Jr. So the police department, Memphis police department, all that stuff. And the family is very outspoken about this.
0: Yep. No, to this day. I mean, like you said, there's a a new podcast that deals with it. Um, Mm -hmm. The big issue here is there is a few issues that are traditionally talked about and believed by historians. MLK, by 68, when he started concentrating on the war on poverty, he's doing something that's unprecedented, that is actually almost a threat to potentially a threat to American federal government. And what I'm talking about is the fact that MLK, a person that was able to bring together thousands and thousands, you know, tens of hundreds of thousands of people for a simple cause, um, is now doing the same thing, but he's transcending race because he's no he's longer doing for human race. rights now. Exactly. He's doing it for human rights now. Yeah, yeah. He's not battling race. He's battling poverty. And he said, white brothers, black brothers, it didn't matter to him. He goes, I'm battling poverty. And he was potentially, you, you know, uniting. Like, he even... Threatened I it's not a threat it's probably not the right word, but you know he I guess threatened that he was going to have this humongous the biggest march the world has ever seen on washington d c for poverty, uniting you know whites and blacks together, and essentially asking the government to do something about it, and supposedly that made him a threat to the federal government and Tom the other one is what
1: obviously well, he's out very outspoken about the Vietnam war exactly, and that is something that during 1968 is it's happening. You're having an anti-war movement with the Tet Offensive and stuff, but it, it's, it's really never validated up...
0: by someone of that stature, you know? Yeah.
1: Like he's a big, a big public speaker basically coming out and saying, we shouldn't be fighting in Vietnam. Yep. You're going against, and there was a lot of people come out and saying, that's unpatriotic. That's un-American. You're going against, you know, the government. And so there's a lot of people that say, listen, that's the government took him out because of that.
0: Yeah. That was the big thing. I mean, and at the end of the day, Vietnam was a, a, a poor man's war. I mean, if you were in college, you weren't drafted. You know, this was a, a lower class of an American type of war. And a lot of people that were lower class at this time were African-Americans, you know, but he also transcended race when he spoke about Vietnam. He, You know, he said it's, it's a poor man's war. You know, this isn't fair. And again, if you listen to his Vietnam speech, you could find those on YouTube as well. It's such a powerful speaker. But that's pretty much what a lot of people to this day believe is the reason why the federal government has all this stuff classified, because potentially they might have had something to do with his murder. Well, um, they know
1: more than what they're telling at the very least. At that's least what a lot of people are saying, too. yeah.
0: do you think any of that stuff will ever be released in our lifetime? like oh, the you gosh. know the MLK stuff, the JFK stuff, the RFK stuff, like like tell me, like just tell me what's up.
1: Uh, I I think well I think the main reason is there's still individuals alive. That's what the argument is that it could impact in some way. Once or you know once they're not around anymore, I think it could be more likely that something could be open. Plus, with all like the in, with just like how things kind of get leaked now, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point a lot of more information gets conveyed out there. You know? you know, what
0: gets me though. Like we say, people are alive, right? But the people that were making decisions back then. I mean, this was, yeah. I guess you're right. It's fifty-something years, and if they were yeah, probably in their thirties, they might still be alive. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they could still be alive, or they could have like direct kin that are, you know,
0: yeah.
1: influenced by it in one way or the other. So, for or national security interest, that's another reason why they say they're not going to release the information. Nuts. How people it's... are going to react?
0: There was actually a, a big you know, movement to make MLK Jr. to create the day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day.
1: Pretty early on, pretty early on.
0: Yeah, right away after, actually, after his death, um, it kind of started to talk for it, like we should make this a national holiday. But it took about 15 years to actually declare it a national holiday. And it went through a lot to get this done. You know, because Reagan does it. it. Yep. There was a lot of pushback. Yeah, there's a lot of pushback from some southern states and southern politicians about making this a a holiday. Um, And they even try to, in Congress, they try to introduce, because the bill is being introduced again and again and again, uh, and there's sponsors for it all the way along. And then some people are trying to introduce some incriminating evidence about King that was collected by the FBI to kind of smear his personality And that's being, you know, that's being brought into Congress. Like we shouldn't have a day for this person. And that's ignored. For a while. Yeah, yeah, as well. And then 80s is when it really starts to turn towards this. Uh, You have CBC collected like 6 million signatures um, to support a federal holiday in honor of King. Stevie Wonder wrote a song, Happy Birthday, about King, right? Um, Which also brought up a huge public support for the holiday. Then in 83, a civil rights movement, veterans uh, gathered in Washington, commemorated the 20th anniversary of March in Washington, um, and I have a dream speech. Things started to really look up for it, and eventually it's brought into um, Congress. The bill passes 78 to 22, and President Ronald Reagan signs the legislation. However, some people uh, or some states in the South actually... You know, first of all, it took it. years to even observe it, but I don't know if yeah. you saw this, but several southern states promptly combined MLK Day um, with holidays that uplifted Confederate leader Robert E. Lee, who was born on January 19th.
1: Yeah, I can see that. That's the st- I mean,
0: yeah. Nuts. Nuts. I yeah. just, I can't. And then Arizona initially observed the holiday, then rescinded it, and then it was like a whole years-long scuffle, whether they should celebrate it, and finally started celebrating again um, in 1992. It actually wasn't until 2000. That officially, every state in the union observed MLK Day. Yeah, which is nuts. nuts. Yeah,
1: people wouldn't really know that, you know.
0: Yeah, you know, they—they they, right. I mean, our our students wouldn't know um, because you know, there were most of them were born after two. Like all of them were born after two thousand. Oh yeah. Damn, we're all Tom. Anyway, that's well, that's right. why we're here wait, to wait. talk a little bit about history, so they could listen. Yeah, talking
1: about history, exactly.
0: That's right. Why not? But anyway, um, enough, do, do you have enough. anything else? I mean,
1: no. I think that we pretty much summed everything up. You know, it was one of these events that you know rocked the cut and rocked the nation, um, and it's one of those things that one of those I think brings in one of those "what if" questions of history. You know, like if Martin Luther King wasn't, what if he didn't wasn't assassinated? What if he survived the assassination? How differently things could have been? Like, what would have happened? You know, it just would have been different than how it played out without a doubt
0: yeah yeah no absolutely there was another piece of legislation that was passed because of his assassination i forgot what it was it was something with housing there was the i forgot the proper name but it was about how no discrimination in housing based on race sex religion um it was considered the last civil rights act to be passed Uh, it was 68 68 something
1: housing again when you keep on looking back at 68 just how like Crazy 68 was, you know,
0: for those of you guys that are curious, listen to our 1968
1: podcast. Yes, uh, nice little plug there, but yeah, um, you know, it's it was a you know, Somewhere just there. a whacked out year in American history.
0: Nuts. Well, anyway, guys, thank you so much. Um, hopefully, we'll return with something happier next week. Um,
1: yeah, we're gonna have to do a happy one. We did yeah, a, this couple was a sad one, tough ones, yeah.
0: Um, Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. And if you need to find us or email us, please feel free. We get emails all the time. Thank you for those of you guys that do email us. You can reach us at www.historyteachers.talkingpodcast.com. We are there if you need us. We could also you can find us on social media all over the place. Just kind of you know search for History Teachers Talking. And I guess that's it. So uh, click subscribe wherever you are listening to this, and enjoy the rest of your week. See you guys. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that.